Um, If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. If you've got one of our church Bibles, it's page 882. If you haven't got a Bible, you could just pop your hand up and Heather will will run and get you one. Uh, But it's page 882. And I'm going to read from verse 14 to verse 20. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let me just pray. Father, we thank you for we thank you for your church. We thank you that we are able to come together this afternoon in a new space, but with the same God. And our request is the same this afternoon. Speak to us. Show us more of who you are. Stare our affections for you, for one another, for this world around us. And as we look at what it is to be a people who gather around this table, help us to see your love for us. Maybe in a stronger way than we have ever seen before. Jesus, we thank you that you are here by your spirit. We ask that you would do a work to open the eyes of our hearts to the truth of your word this afternoon. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. In 1971, the king of Persia, a king called King Pahlavi, he was actually known as the king of kings by other uh, rulers across the world. He was a king who liked extravagance. He was exuberant in everything that he did. And it was coming up to the 2000. 500th anniversary of the Persian Empire and he wanted to to celebrate but because he was a a king who who did everything not by heart he went big like literally the biggest celebration that the world has ever seen Um, he commissioned a new opera house he invited all of the rulers of um, all of the, the kind of countries that he had relationships with around the world. Lots of dignitaries, uh, lots of famous people, actors, actresses, poets. Uh, lots of people were invited and all of them came. Thousands of people descended for this great feast. Uh, they'd organized it for years and years. And all the invites were accepted and people came along And it was a week-long feast. It was extravagant in every way. When people left, when uh, the uh, kings and queens and different uh, kind of important people left at the end, they each got a unique, one-off, priceless gift to take with them. Something that no one else in the world would have. It went down in history and still is, according to Wikipedia, which is the fount of all, all knowledge and truth, it still is the most expensive meal that has ever been hosted. Like, some of you might have seen the Met Gala this week. Like, it's the Met Gala on steroids. Like, £20,000 for a ticket to the Met Gala. Like, that pales into insignificance. Historians reckon that in today's money, uh, King Pahlavi's feast would cost somewhere between 
150 and 200 million pounds. That's not cheap, right? This meal, the bread and the wine that we see in front of us this afternoon, for most of us it's familiar. For all of us, as we look at it, it's simple. Some of us in this room have taken this meal, communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, whatever you call it. Some of us have taken it literally thousands of times. But I want us to be convinced this afternoon as we look at what God is saying to us in this part of Luke's gospel this afternoon. I want us to be convinced that the expense, the cost, everything that is wrapped around this meal as we compare that to maybe King Paul of V's meal, like it would just pale into insignificance. The expense and the cost of this meal and the gift that we get to take away with it is truly priceless. See, we look at this meal and you can look at it, just a loaf of bread and a cup of wine. And we just think it's, it's pretty ordinary. But actually, if we understand what God is saying to us, through his word in this passage, actually we get to see that it's anything but ordinary. This meal here, folks, is an invitation from the King of Kings to come and receive. And as we come to the table to receive from Jesus Christ himself as he feeds our weary souls, what's he going to feed us with? The first thing we see is that he feeds us with love. This is a meal of love. A Passover in Jerusalem, which is the context of this passage that we read, was the high point of the Jewish calendar. People would travel from all over the country, all over the world, and descend on the city of Jerusalem. And Passover for the Jews was a, a meal of remembrance, a meal of celebration. It was a time where they looked back to the story of the Exodus. So most of us would know the story of Moses leading God's people out of slavery. And Passover was a time where they would just look back and celebrate and remember God's great work of freedom over his people. And this, this meal, this feast, this high point in the calendar was something that, that everyone got involved in. And on this evening, as they came to share this meal, as the sun set, the city would come to life. Distant relatives would descend around your table you'd see them maybe for the first time that you see them all year it would be a bit like you know that feeling after we had lockdown after lockdown last year and you just really desperately wanted to sit with your family it, it was like that they were desperate to see each other and they enjoyed each other's company around the table but this meal wasn't an open invite like think of think of Christmas dinner, like who you'd have around your table at Christmas dinner. This wasn't for your next door neighbour or the guy on the street. This is was this was for close family. The people who were closest to you would share this meal. But as Jesus takes this meal, he does something different. This is an intimate meal to be shared with family, but Jesus Jesus shares it with his friends. And if you know anything about Jesus' friends, the disciples who he's eaten with, you'd know that actually they weren't really the best of friends. Like literally, if you read on the passage after the passage we just read, you'll read like 
what a bunch of wasters they really were. Like literally, Jesus has just shared the Lord's Supper and he's showing them that he's going to die for them and hang on a cross and his body's going to be broken, his blood's going to be shed. And literally the next thing that his disciples are doing is arguing with each other about who's going to be the greatest. Like Jesus has just said, I'm going to take away the sins of the world. And they're like, I think I'm, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. They're all squabbling with each other. And then Peter, like we love Peter, don't we? Like we can connect with Peter. Peter's the guy who, you know, that our parents always tell us to think before we speak. Like Peter's the guy who gets it the other way around. Like he just speaks, he shoots off his mouth. Like he doesn't think. And we love him because there's lots of us in this room who can connect with exactly that um, type of experience. And he just shoots off his mouth and he says, Jesus, I'm going to be the faithful one. I'm going to be the one who's at your side. I'm never going to abandon you. I'm going to be the one who's right there. And Jesus pulls him to one side and says, Peter, you don't get it. Before the sun rises, you're going to deny me three times. And then as Jesus is led away by the soldiers to be crucified. After a bit of kind of a show of, of strength, someone pulling the sword, they just filter off into the night. These friends that Jesus invites to the table, they are faint hearted, fear-filled sinners. And Jesus loves them. And they are his friends. And he says, you are welcome to the table. Hear that this afternoon, folks. We are faint-hearted, fear-filled sinners. Like if Jesus was picking friends, let's be honest, he would not pick, he would not pick us, would he? But he does. He loves us. And this meal goes to some great extent to show how much he loves us. He literally gave his life for us. His body was broken. His blood was shed for us. God the Father loved us in sending his own son because he loved us. Jesus died because he loves us. The spirit dwells within us because he loves us. If you're in any doubt of the love of God this afternoon, look at this meal. And remind yourself of the depth of God's love towards you. God loves you. And he invites us to this meal as his friends. And he wants each of us to be utterly convinced of his love. He wants us to know his love. And he also wants us to feel his love. Like at Liberty Church, we love God's word. Every time we have a gathering, whether it's here, whether it's in our homes, we have our Bibles open. Like we love the word of God. It is the authority on which we stand. We love it because it is through the word of God that he speaks to us. He reveals himself to us. It's through the word of God that we get to know who God is, his character and his works. It's through the word of God that he feeds us and he nourishes us. But let me just say, it is one thing to know and it is another thing to feel. So let me use my wife, Elizabeth, as an illustration. Like, I love Elizabeth, and she knows that. I tell Elizabeth every day that I love her. I write her cards once or twice a year, telling her that I love her. Sometimes I write her letters, soppy love letters, telling her that I loved her. But if that was all I did, then she might, she might not be fully convinced that I love her. But what I do is I, I take hold of her hand. I put my arm around her shoulder and I let her cuddle into me when we're watching Netflix and we kiss. She knows that I love her, right? But she really feels that I love her when, when she feels my touch and my embrace. God reveals his love to us in his word. 
And then he communicates his love to us in a physical way through this meal. This is how Thomas Watson, an old theologian, put it much more beautifully than I would. He says this, in the word we hear God's voice. In the sacrament, that is the Lord's Supper or baptism, in this case, in the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, we have his kiss. Isn't that beautiful? In the word, we have God's voice. He speaks to us. And as we share this meal, we have the kiss of Christ. Jesus Christ, folks, let's not be fooled. It's not like we invite Jesus here this afternoon. Jesus Christ is the host of this meal. And as we take it, it is as if he is holding out the bread and the wine to us. He is offering it out to us and he is saying to us, I love you and you are welcome here. You see how Jesus approached the meal with his disciples? He earnestly desired to eat with them. If you are a friend of Jesus this afternoon, he earnestly desires to share this meal with you. This meal is a powerful picture of God's love. And it is a powerful picture of our love for one another. We take from one loaf, usually we would take from one cup. And that is a physical demonstration of our relationship with God. We are one with God. We are united with God through Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. If we are saved, we are united to him, but but we are also united to each other. That's why we take from one loaf and one cup. It is a powerful demonstration of our oneness. And so practically, when we come to the table, we do not come on our own. We don't eat this meal on our own. Don't kind of block out everyone else as you come to the table later and think this is just me and Jesus doing business. No, this is a family meal. That's why we never take this meal separated from the body. We eat it together. And so again, practically, as you come up later, as you remember that you are united to God through Christ by the power of the Spirit and united to one another in this body, can I encourage you? Have your eyes open for each other. It might be that you want to come up together and share the meal together with the people that you've come with. It might be that you want to take the meal and just pray with someone as you come back and sit down. It might be that you have your eyes open and you see someone else in this body and see that they need an encouragement and you get alongside them and you pray with them. This meal isn't just about us and Jesus. It's about us and Jesus, right? So can I just free you and liberate you to to do that? We are going to come up later and take from here. If you want to come up together, then then do that. That's fine. Guys, we're sensible enough to know what's safe and what's not safe at the moment with COVID. But can I encourage you to serve and love one another as we do? We take this meal and it is a powerful picture of our love with God, our love with one another. And so all who are loved by Jesus, come to the table. This is a meal of love and it's a meal of peace whether we admit it or not every single one of us is searching for peace we have this internal restlessness within us that that nothing in the world can 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 touch and and can calm and we've we've tried a lot of things like we're not going to share this openly now but Each and every one of us have gone to certain places, indulged in different things, tried different things to try and fix that peace within us. And so often we find ourselves in the same place, crippled with anxiety or fear, bored, 
feeling isolated. Or maybe we try and mask up that restlessness with, with pride. All of us crave peace. Jesus said in verse 19, he, he took the bread and he said, this is my body which is given for you. And then in verse 17, um, he takes the cup and he says, this cup, is, um, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. He talks about the cup, his shared blood, this, it being symbolic of his shared blood, it being a new covenant. And covenant isn't a word that we, we use too often, but it's, it's basically talking about a strong promise. Jesus is saying, this cup, my blood that is poured out for you is the new covenant, the new strong promise for my people. Now, if you know anything about God and how he, how he communicates and how he reveals himself in the Bible, you'll know that so often he reveals himself through covenants, through these strong promises. So right from the start of Scripture all the way through, he is, he's relating to his people through these, through these promises, through his covenants. So you see him making a covenant with Adam, a covenant with Noah, a covenant with Abraham, a covenant with Moses, a covenant with David. And the thing that he does, because we're human and, and he wants to relate to us and help us understand, as he gives us a promise, he also gives us a sign. He gives us something visible, something tangible, something physical that we can hold on to that will strengthen our faith in the promise that he has made. So with Adam, he gives him the tree of life. With Noah, we have the rainbow. Who is that? Well done, Helen. With Abraham, we have circumcision. With Moses, we have the Lord's Supper. With David, we have a throne. And as we get towards the end of the Old Testament, God gives us kind of an insight. He gives us people an insight into a new promise, a new covenant that will come. And this covenant will gather in all of the other covenants and more. This is what he says in Ezekiel 37 verse 26. This is God speaking. He says, I will make a covenant, this strong promise. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. That is the end of the Old Testament. He's looking forward to Jesus coming. And he says the promise that will come with Jesus is a promise that will bring peace. He's going to gather in his people. They're going to dwell in his land. They're going to flourish in his land. And he is going to be there. God will be present. And as he is present, he says it will be eternally peaceful. The new covenant. The promise that comes. Is a promise of peace from God. That is a promise that every one of us needs, folks. We need peace because on our own, our sin separates us from God. On our own, naturally, we are enemies against God. We come into this world with a sinful nature which puts us against God. We are separated from him. And it's not like God is is just kind of giving peace. He is peace. And so in this, in this pursuit in our lives to try and find peace in this world, and no matter where we're looking, we kind of find it. It's not giving us what we need. It's not giving us what we need. We will carry on that journey until we come to Jesus because he is the only one who's got it. If we want peace, then we need to be with God, but our sin separates us. Our sin separates us from the thing that we are all desperate to take hold of, peace. But God in his love sends his son to live a perfect life, to die a cruel death 
And as Jesus suffers and bleeds and dies on a cross, as his blood is shed and his body is broken, he takes upon the sin of his people, the thing that separates us from God, divides us from God, he takes it on. And he suffers the judgment, the punishment, the penalty, the wrath from God that is due to us. And as it is removed of us, of us and taken onto Jesus, the thing that prevented us from having peace is gone. Jesus' death on a cross reconciles his people to God. It brings us peace with God again. The cross makes peace with God's people and God. But it doesn't stop there at the resurrection when Jesus rises three days later. In the following weeks, he sends his Holy Spirit. And as God's Spirit dwells in us, we have his peace. At the cross, peace is made. At the resurrection, peace is given. And so if you have faith in Jesus Christ this afternoon, you are at peace with God. You are no longer enemies with God. That is true for you. The problem is we sometimes struggle to to live in that reality, don't we? You are at peace with God. You are not an enemy of God. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you who is the presence of God, who is the presence of peace within you. But the lived reality of that sometimes feels far off. Because the truth is, as soon as we step out of these doors, there, there are a million and one things that are distracting you from that peace. There are a million and one things that will shake you from standing in that peace. And the further away you get from Sunday, like this meal will remind you of that peace. But the further away we get from that meal, it, the further away we feel uh, uh, being in a place of peace. A few weeks ago, some of you know, I went on a long bike ride. Elizabeth likes to call it a bike race. It wasn't, but it makes it sound a little bit better. And I went on this long bike, ride, bike race. It was 86 miles and lots of kind of hills. And literally the morning that I woke up, we were in a premier and I turned to Elizabeth and I said, do you know what? I can't be bothered. I'd much rather stay in bed and just stay with you and the kids. We have a day. But she gave me a kick up the backside and, and I went. And the thing that got me through was I had a little bit of white tape and I taped it to my bike. And what I did was I wrote um, all of the, the um, kind of peaks that were coming up, what mile they were going to come up. So at 10.6 miles, you've got a Category 2 peak coming up. So I could kind of prepare for this. I knew it was coming at, at, at 15.7 miles. You've got a Category 1 peak coming up. And I could prepare mentally for this thing coming up. But the thing that really helped me was to know when the feed stations were coming. So there were four feed stations along the route. And as you got to them, you got to fill up your bottles, get some energy bars, get some energy gels, go to the toilet, have a few seconds rest, and then you're on your way again. And when I could see them coming up, okay, 35.6 miles, you've got a feed station coming up. Oh, I, I just felt that burst of energy and I could head towards it. And then I got filled, I got refreshed, I got revived at the feed station, and then off I'd go again. And the further I got from the feed station, the more kind of my energy levels were depleted, the more exhausted I got, the more frustrated I got. But then I could see the next one coming, 56 miles, the next feed station to come. And so I lifted my eyes and kept on going until it came again. Folks, that is a picture of the Christian life between Sunday to Sunday. We hear from God's word and he speaks to us and he feeds us. We enjoy each other's fellowship as we are together. And he feeds us by faith with this meal as we come and gather around the table. And as we do, we are refreshed. We are replenished. We are re-energized. We are filled up, ready to go. The reality is when we step out, there are lots of things 
They're pulling at us, trying to steal that peace away from us. But Sunday is coming again. And so we look forward to it coming again. That is why we do this every week, because we need it. We need that weekly reminder that we are at peace with God. And we have the peace of God within us by his spirit. And so practically, as you come to the table, folks, you know, in verse 19, Jesus says, take this in remembrance. Remember that you are at peace with God. Remember what it costs to make you to be peace at peace with God. Remember the cross. Look back and remember the sacrifice that Jesus has made. And remember, I am at peace with God. I am not his enemy. I have a spirit within me, the spirit who is, who is a present peace within me. Remember. And that doesn't mean that because we're right with God, we don't sin. We do sin. And so confess and repent as you come to the table. And as you do, be filled with peace. A peace that only comes from God. We come in this afternoon, folks. I know we do battered and bruised and spiritually tired and worn out. So all who are weary, come to the table. This is a meal of love. It's a meal of peace. And it's a meal of hope. Passover. God's uh, people kind of gathered together and they repeated this meal year after year. And whenever the Jews would take this meal, it was a meal that caused them to look back. They would look back to Egypt. They would look back to the first Passover. They would look back, you know, the story of God leading his people out of the cruel slavery of Pharaoh under the leadership of Moses. And the night that they're getting ready to go, they take this meal together. And it was a meal taken in haste. On that first time, they actually stood up around the table. They had their traveling clothes on. It was like they were literally ready to step out the door. They were ready to go on a journey. They were leaving Egypt, come what may, that next day. And they were ready to go. And so they took this meal and it was kind of prepared in the right way, but, but in haste. There was a bread that was made quickly. It was a flat bread and it was just something that was made with whatever bits that were, were, were around them. It wasn't luxurious. It was made quickly. And then the centerpiece of their meal was a lamb. They would take a lamb that was spotless without blemish and they would take the blood of the lamb at this first Passover and they would take the blood and smear it across the crossbeam of the door. And you'll know the story probably that night the angel of the Lord passes over Egypt. And as he comes to the houses that have the blood smeared on the crossbeam, the angel of the Lord passes over. You see what God was doing there? Passes over those houses and moves on to subdue the enemies of God's people. This meal was, was a sensory meal. It was a tangible meal. In that lamb that was in front of them, in the center of the table, God was giving them a vivid picture that it would take a sacrifice for his people to escape death. It would take a sacrifice for his people to escape slavery and enjoy freedom. It is a sensory, tangible, visceral meal. And on the night that Jesus broke bread with his disciples, he took a loaf and breaks it. He said to his friends, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as he broke bread, it would crack open, it would rip apart, pieces would fall to the floor. And he was giving them a visual picture 
Friends, this is what's going to happen to my body. Tomorrow, as I hang on a cross, you'll see my flesh being torn open. Snap of tendons in my body. The ripping of my muscles. God has given them a physical, visceral picture of what was going to happen to him. And Jesus says, I'm going to do all of this in love for you. To bring you peace. And he took a cup of wine and passed it around. This wine was to be symbolic of the blood that Jesus would pour out for them. They're taking a Passover meal. Their mind would have been taken back to the blood that was smeared on the crossbeam of the houses in Egypt in order to save God's people. And Jesus is directing their focus towards the cross where the blood of God will save them. As Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed. The only way for us to have lasting freedom from the darkness, from the emptiness, from the torment of our sin is if Jesus' body is ripped open and as if if his blood flows. There's nothing that we can do to fix our problem with sin. There's nothing hopeful within us that can fix our predicament. There's nothing we can add to this table, folks. Jesus is the host, remember. We just come with hands wide open and we receive. Jesus does everything else. When we come to this table, we make a declaration that Jesus, you are enough. And on my own, I am without hope. As we take this meal, it is right that our minds are taken back to the finished work of the cross. It is right as we come and we hold the bread and we drink the wine, that our minds are taken back to Jesus' body which was broken, his blood that was shed, and the forgiveness that we have received. And as we do, it is right that we are filled with hope. You are forgiven of your sin. You have been made right with God. You are at peace with God. You are no longer his enemies. You are reconciled to God. You've been adopted to God. It is right that all of these things that come with the finished work of the cross and the resurrection come flooding into our hearts and we have hope. It is right that we look back and find hope, but also Jesus wants us to look forward. He wants us to look forward to a time when all of the pain All of the suffering, all of the distress that we experience in this world will be gone. As Jesus shares this meal with his disciples, he's drawing their focus towards the cross. And there is hope to be had there, but he has also taken their attention beyond the cross. You see in verse 16 and verse 18, he talks about not taking this meal again until the work of the kingdom is done. The Apostle Paul in his first letters to the Corinthians talks about the church gathering together and taking this meal week after week after week and taking it until Jesus comes. See, the Bible promises that this life is is not all that there is. Jesus will return and when he does, he will make all things new. And just as he promised in that covenant of peace, he will gather in his people in his place under his rule and we will sit with him in peace. And there is a beautiful thing that happens when, when that day comes. We eat with him. We will sit with the Lord Jesus Christ and eat with him. Praise God. Amen, Helen. 
On that day, our bodies will have been made new. Our sin will be no more. And every experience we will have from that day forward will be filled with unending joy and peace. And so we take this meal with hope as we look back to the finished work of the cross. And we take this meal with hope as we look forward to our promised future with Christ. And so practically, as you come to this table, and this might be a little bit different for some of you guys, because I've seen the way that you take this meal sometimes. Take in proportion to your need. Don't take a little crumb. Don't take a little nibble. Like take a chunk from the loaf. I'll separate some pieces out. So if I get if you're not kind of comfortable with, with sharing the loaf with other people, um, I've got clean hands and I'll take some bits to the side. But as you take, take a chunk, and you know what that means? You're going to have bits of bread in your mouth as you're singing and trying to lead us in song. Do you know what? That's okay. Because it reminds you. Take the wine. Oh, I wish we could share this glass together. We can't. We'll just have the mini cups for now. That's the right thing to do at the moment. But take, take the wine. It's non-alcoholic. So you can come and you can take that. The bread is gluten-free, so you can come and take that. We want to remove every obstacle from you sharing this meal. But come and take proportion into your need. As you take this meal, it is a, a bold confession that we have no hope apart from Jesus. And so rip a piece of bread off. Take it and feast on it. And as you do, allow the Spirit of God to fill you with hope. Your sins are forgiven. And Jesus is waiting for you to eat with you again. And so come with your aches. Come with your pains. Come with your addictions. Come with your frustrations about your battles with sin this week. Come with your broken hearts. Look back to the cross and look forward to a day when Jesus will wipe away every tear. And we will weep no more. All of those who need hope come to the table. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in all that you've done for us throughout history. We thank you that you are faithful to all of your promises. And we thank you that right from the beginning you have desired to bring your people into your place, into into eternal peace. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that through your son, Jesus, we are brought into a covenant, a promise of peace. And so for those of us who have faith in you, Lord Jesus, we pray that as we take this meal, you will fill us, you will fuel us, you will refresh us, you will remind us that peace has been made and that you have given us your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would... (coughs) You would just stare in our hearts a reminder, a remembrance of that peace. And draw our focus, draw our gaze, draw hope towards that day. That day when we will sit together as God's people, where that promise will be fulfilled. We will eat together with joy in our hearts. Where sin will not touch us, death will not touch us. But we will feel the physical kiss and embrace of the Lord Jesus Christ as we gather with him. Father, for those who don't know you, grant faith this afternoon. Help them believe that more than anything they need you. 
I need to be at peace with you. So Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken. We thank you for your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Help us to love each other as well in this moment, Jesus. Help us to have eyes for each other, to care for each other, to encourage. Help us to do this as a sign of our union with you and our union with one another. It's in your name that we pray.